I want to share with you um, some, some things that's been on, been on my heart about three years ago. In fact, it'll be three years ago this October. Um, in October of 2014, I don't know really how to say it, but I sort of went through a spiritual renaissance, if you, if you will. Just the Lord just did some incredible things in my life, opened my eyes to a lot of things, and, it, and, and things began to make sense. Um, I have walked with the Lord pretty faithfully for 33 years. It's a long time. I know that surprises you that I'm only 25, how that happens. Who knows? But, but I really walked with, walked with God for 33 years. But something really took place in my life of almost three years ago this, this October that just began to um, change everything for me as God began to reveal some um, truth that I knew but really didn't know. And, and over the past year in particular, I've been um, processing my 33 years of following Jesus. Everything I've ever learned, everything I've, everything I've, I've, I've been taught, just to, just to get my mind wrapped around, Lord, what, what have you done? And, and, and what are you doing? And help me to make sense of what's going on inside. So I want to take a second tonight, and I'll make more than a second, but maybe the next 45 minutes. And um, I want to I want to show you something that the, that the Lord showed me about me and about what God is doing in my life. And I believe it might be helpful for you. And this in the fall is actually going to become a lot longer series of teachings and things. So I'm just kind of going to give you just the basic framework of some things that God has done in me and revealed to me. And hopefully, if it makes sense to me, it'll, it'll, it'll make sense to you as well. We don't have time to go in depth tonight. It's ever, ever kind of watch the specials where the airplane is kind of coming in for landing and it hits the runway, but it kind of immediately takes back off again? So there's not time for the plane to land tonight. That's all we're going to do. So the plane's going to come down. It's going to touch the runway, and it's going to take right back off again, because we don't have time to get into a lot of detail, but I just wanted to share some things that I think will be encouraging for all of us as we begin working through what is God doing in your life. Do you think God has a process that he's, he's doing something in us, and it's very clear in his word what he's doing, but when you begin to give the mind a framework for the m movement of God in your life, it actually begins to make more sense. And it's okay for things to make a little bit of sense. So we're going to move in this together. Um, I gave you a piece of paper. Um, and these are blanks for you to fill in. There's basically three blanks on top. There's a blank blank there. And there's going to be a spot for you to write in right here. And we're going to, we're going to walk through this together tonight. But it is going to be like so fast. It's going to be at breakneck speed. Um, so I hope we can, I hope we can, we can, um, we can get done. If not, we'll, we'll, we will finish later. Revelation 22.1 says, Then he showed me a river. This is John on the Isle of Patmos. And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In other words, he saw a river that came from the throne of God. So kind of get the mental image, if you will. The throne of God, the great white throne on which God sits, out of this throne flows a river. And you can read through Scripture a lot about the river of God, that which we are being invited into to take part in, to experience in this 
water, this invitation to get in what God is doing. Now, here's the problem with the human mind is, and we've talked about this in the past, we typically want to build a canal. If we're going to get in the water, we like canals, we like swimming pools. Nobody typically likes to jump in a lake sometimes or a river. Man seeks to build canals. For example, um, ever heard of a guy by the name of Jimmy Carter? Name ring a bell? Some of you all know to remember Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, not welcome back Carter, but Jimmy Carter. So, uh, there was a desire to, to build a canal to connect the Atlantic Ocean with the Pacific Ocean. You know, there was a desire to do that because all the trading ships were having to go down and they had to sail around the tip of South America. Pretty long journey. So they decided to build a canal to, to access these two oceans. Um, now, if you're a man or you're, or you're an engineer, you want to build that where? in the most narrow place possible, you're probably not going to start off in Rio de Janeiro and cut across that way. You're going to find a very narrow spot to be able to cross. And then once you start to build it, are you going to build it like really crooked? How are you going to build it? Straight. Because mama said the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. It's efficient, it's pragmatic, it makes sense, it's, it's economical, we're going to do it that way. So we tend to, as humans, analytical thinkers, we build canals. Does God build canals? How does God connect rivers and oceans and lakes together? What does he build? Rivers. God builds rivers. Man builds canals, God builds rivers. How do you know rivers do not follow the rules? Of the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. What do rivers do? Wine, zigzag. God builds rivers. We typically build in canals. So the first thing we begin to get here. So God builds rivers. So I want to let me show you something, um, and you can jot some of this stuff down. I need to make sure I save myself some room on top. So. You can, you can write some of this stuff down. So God builds rivers, all right? And believe it or not, you are all, if you know the Lord, you are in a river right now. What is God doing in your life? How do you grow? How many you want to grow? How many you want to move on in your relationship with Jesus? Not, say, not stay status quo, and, but I mean, that really this whole walk with Jesus is fresh and it's full of life and there's fresh manna on the ground every morning. It's new and exciting. As we're saying, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I mean, really following Jesus is exciting. It's actually fun. It's actually good. It's, it's enjoyable. There really is a, a table that's been prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. That we can actually eat and enjoy fellowship even when everything is falling apart around us. It can happen. Check out Psalm 110. We are actually called to rule in the midst of our enemies. That means your enemies and the trials and tribulations and difficulties are not going to go away. But, but man, there's life in the midst of knowing Jesus in the midst of everything. So let me show you. Three words that you're very familiar with as part of this river. First one is information. Information. I'm going to draw info. The next one is revelation. If you want to know more about this, register for Hope Academy. Coming real soon. Uh, transformation. Transformation. Information, revelation, transformation. That's how things begin to move through your life. Now, let's talk about information just for a second. Do you realize everything that you know has come through your brain? 
It really has. In other words, everything begins to move through the realm of information. When you study the Bible, when you study the Word, it goes in as information. Are you, are you following me? Romans 10, 14 says, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear unless somebody tells them? So the reason all of us know Jesus is because somewhere along the way we got some information. Somebody told us, and it began to move in as information. And we need to be about acquiring and learning and growing through accessing more information. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. In other words, that that the Scripture has been given for us to learn, to, to, to grow, to memorize, to gain information. That is a necessary part of our journey with Him. Proverbs 3, 1 through 2. Listen to this. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. This is the acquisition of more information from God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 gives us this challenge. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman of who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the Word of truth. That we need to be gaining information. How do you do that? Hopefully here tonight you're getting a little bit, right? You're reading your Bible. You're, you're reading other books. You're, 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 you're taking in information. Now, here's where it begins to get a little bit dicey, okay? Have you ever noticed that information is not enough to change you? In other words, you can know a lot of stuff, and it doesn't change you. You can have a lot of knowledge, and it doesn't change you. Even the Bible says that knowledge puffs up, right, beloved, will build up. In other words, you can acquire lots of information, and it, and it never ultimately changes you. So information has to be converted to something. There has to be an exchange. It, it, it has to convert from the, from the outer to the inner. This is what God wants of us. Psalm 51.6. You can read this later, but make a note of it. Psalm 51.6. Behold, you desire. David saying this about God. He's saying this to God. Behold, you desire truth. And where? The innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. In other words, something has to happen to move the information from the outer to the inner. Make sense? It's got to, it, it can't stay in that realm of information. It's got to move. But how many of you realize that there is, an, there is a medium of exchange that must happen to convert everything you know into this thing called revelation? Now, you can write in that little space provided right there, you can write the word faith. You can write the word faith right there. In other words, faith is the medium of exchange. In other words, when you, can, when you can take everything that you know, everything that you've learned, everything that you have read, and it's not just enough to have the information, but now you've got to believe the information. Right? It's not just enough to have the information. you actually got to believe what you say you know. 
Now, this is where sometimes the wheels begin to fall off because, like I said earlier, we tend to want to build canals when God builds rivers. We want to figure everything out. But guess what? If you have to have everything figured out, you're never going to move from information to revelation. It requires faith. It requires belief. There was a um, lay philosopher, theologian that lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s, by the name of G.K. Chesterton. You may have heard of him. I'll read you a couple of quotes. A very, um, very smart guy and, and very provocative in his thinking. He says this, and the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Listen to that for a second. And the more I considered Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. In other words, God wants to do some wild and wonderful things that you're not going to figure out and I'm not going to figure out. That, in other words, there's mystery involved. Chesterton also said this. He said, as long as you have mystery, you have health. When you destroy mystery, you create morbidity. Indigenous humans have always been sane because they have always been mystic. They permit the twilight. They permit the twilight. What does that mean? In other words, it's okay to move in the realm of mystery. It's okay not to understand everything, not to have everything figured out. In in order to get to revelation, you got to see things through the eyes of faith. What is faith? Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. The Bible says we don't walk by sight, we walk by what? Faith. So faith then begins to convert information into this beautiful, beautiful thing called revelation. I'll get to this, probably won't get to this today, but one of the things that happened to me um, almost three years ago, is I, I, was, I was on vacation. I'd reached a place in my life where I was just desperate, you know, for God to do something and to, and to know what he had, you know, called me to do. I'd reached a place of just profound dissatisfaction with where things were. And we were on vacation. And I'll, um, short story long, but I was, I, I uh, got up early. I was drinking a cup of coffee and I, and I just took my Bible and I just opened it up. You know, that's a great Bible study, right? Speak to me, Jesus. Thank God it didn't end up in the concordance or maps or something like that. But, but open the Bible, and it, and, it, and, it went to, and it went to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now, John chapter 6 is the one where Jesus is introducing himself as, as, as I am the bread of life. And, and I'm, he's, he's given all these great I am statements. And the disciples, they, they came to Jesus, and my eyes fell upon these particular verses around John 6, 23 and 24, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked this question. They said, Jesus, what shall we do to do the works of God? What shall we do to do the works of God? And I just stopped right there. I didn't read any further. And I said, that's the question. That's it, God. Just tell me what you want me to do. You know, I've, I've followed you all these years for 30-something plus years. I've, I've, I've followed you. I've, I've, I've never backslidden. I think I've kept all the rules and all the regulations. I've kept a pretty good measure of holiness in my life. But yet, Lord, what do you really want me to do? I've done all this stuff, been on mission trips and pastored and taught and done all these things. But yet, I'm just kind of, 
What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? So Jesus gave this response. He said, believe in the one whom God sent. So here's what happened. They were asking a doing question, and Jesus responded with a believing question. And in that moment, it was like a Rosetta Stone dropped in my spirit, and everything began to make sense. What was wrong with my heart? I was so preoccupied with doing, so, I mean, working so hard to the point to where, I mean, just working all the time. And, and God's like, no, it's not, I don't, it's not about the doing, it's about the believing. Do you believe? Do you believe who I am? Do you believe who I said you are? And in that moment, all of a sudden, some great revelation began to move into my life. And what I call a, a spiritual renaissance began to happen for me is then all of a sudden I quit asking the doing questions and I started meditating on the being questions. And I will tell you, it changed everything because most of us as followers of Jesus, we tend to think that we are going to gain his approval and his love and his favor by what we do for him, not about our belief in him and our belief in ourselves. And it really began to shift everything. So what happened is things that I knew then, things that I had known for years and years and years, these little pieces of information that I could quote it, I knew it, it began to say, all right, Lord, I believe. I was sitting right there drinking my coffee and said, yes, Lord, I believe you are Jesus. Yes, Lord, I believe who you say that I am. And then things began to move into this realm called revelation. And this is when it gets really exciting because revelation is fun. It really is. It is, it is exciting. Revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which simply means laying bare and uncovering. So what if, I, if I'm going to apocalypto something, I'm going to take the lid off of something and I'm going to reveal and show you what's under the covers. Same idea. You walk in the bathroom, you pull back the shower curtain. Wow, look at what's in there. The shower's clean. Oh, no, my boy's been throwing his pull-ups in there for the last three years, whatever. You know, oh, my gosh. God said, I'm going to reveal, I'm going to show you something that you didn't know before. <clears throat> this is what it feels like. How does revelation feel? Don't get lost in the terms and the mystic nature of this. Revelation actually has an emotional response. It's a quantifiable emotional response that we've all experienced before. You know what it is? Ever had an aha moment? It's aha. That's, that's exactly what revelation feels like. Do you, can you think far enough back when you were taking a math class, specifically like maybe a pre-algebra or algebra one or algebra two, or God help you if you get beyond that? Do you remember when you're struggling and, 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 the, and they're on the board teaching and they're kind of writing the formula and they're showing you how to do it, how to do it, and you're like, I just can't get it, I can't get it, I can't get it. But then all of a sudden, what happens? Oh, I see it. I know how to work the formula now. It's what? It's like a, oh, some of you've never had that aha moment in math. I get it. But, but that's, but you've had aha moments. It's like, oh, I get it. That's exactly what happens when information through faith becomes this, oh God, I see it now. I've known it for days. I've known it for months. I've known it for years, but now I get it. It's apocalypse. It, it becomes crystal clear when you begin to believe it. Aha moments will change your life. About 10 years ago, my wife and I were sitting at the airport, in front of the airport, waiting on somebody to get off of the plane. 
And she's going off about something. She's just going, 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 going. You know, you, you uh, women have so many more thousands of words than we do. So you're just sitting there thinking, all right, honey. So she's, this is going on, that's going on, this problem, that issue. She's just going to, you know, going all this stuff. And you know, if, if your husband, you know what I'm talking about, you're just sitting there thinking, okay. All right, I'm, I'm going to speak now. But I'm, going to, I'm just going to solve all these problems she's telling me about. I'm going to fix it. I mean, everything that you talked about can be fixed. So I started going through my little litany of our honey. You said this, do this, do this. I, 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 the perfect prescription. On, I, mean, I solved every one of her issues in that one moment. Perfect. And I felt so deeply satisfied with myself. And she turned to me. She turned to me and she said this. She said, honey, can't I at least vent to you? <laughs> now that's an aha moment. For whatever reason, in that moment in time, in front of the Atlanta Hartsfield Airport, revelation visited my heart. And I got it. I realized I had been married now at that point. I had been married for 16 years, and I had completely missed it. And I got it. All she wanted to do was talk. She didn't need me to fix her problems. She just needed me to listen. That's all she really needed. And I really got it. I was like, I finally get what you want. You know, and it, it really, what it just completely changed everything. It's just these incredible aha moments when this information goes from the outer, it goes into the inner place, and you're like, oh, I finally get it now. Listen to this verse, Psalm 119, 130. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. How many think you're simple? Oh, yeah, I'm so simple. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. What happens is it's not just words. See, information comes in as words. When it begins to unfold in faith, what happens? It gives light. It gives understanding. It gives wisdom. But it never happens in the information stage. The information stage is vital. That's how it gains interest. But it must convert. Now, here's the main scripture when we talk about Revelation, Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. Ephesians 1, 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. The power to those who believe, it begins to move into the realm of revelation. It begins to change things. Now, we talk about the book of Revelation. When we think about Revelation, well, let's talk about the, the book of Revelation. Now, many of us, I thought for a long time, the purpose of the book of Revelation was to tell me when Jesus was coming back. It was actually to tell me the, oh, the end time events so I could have my charts on the wall. And man, I knew, I knew the seven years and all right, this is the, this is the, this is the trumpet judgments and here's the seal judgments and here's the bowl judgments and here's the abomination of desolation. Oh, the antichrist has 11 toes and maybe he's, maybe he's, maybe he's homosexual. You know, but he's crazy, right? All, all this stuff. Can I tell you the purpose of the book of Revelation? That's the least thing it's about, about when Jesus is coming back. Now, is it in there? Yes. You know what the purpose of the book of Revelation is? Revelation 1, verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants. 
other words, the purpose of the book of Revelation is not about what Jesus is going to do, but it's about Jesus. You see? It's not the doing thing, it's the being thing. So then when you begin to look at the book of Revelation, it's not so much about figuring out all the end times events, it's about who is Jesus. And all the way through, we get this incredible picture of who Jesus is in his glory as the lamb who was slain, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. We get these beautiful pictures of Jesus. And at the culmination of the ages in Revelation 22, as he wipes away every tear from our eyes, and not, we won't need a son in those days. He'll be the light of the city. It's a book about Jesus. That's the point of the book of Revelation. If you read the book of Revelation only looking for what's coming back, you miss the whole point. Because Jesus wants us to know him and he wants to know us. See, it's in this place when information becomes revelation and it turns into this word called truth. Truth. You know, the Bible does not say, it does not say anywhere that you shall know the information and the information shall make you free. Does it say that? You shall know the facts and the facts shall make you free. It doesn't work that way. See, information and facts must convert to revelation, which turns it into truth. And then what happens when you know truth? It sets you free. This great scripture, John 8, 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Do you notice what Jesus said? And we can all quote John 8.32, but actually John 8.31 is kind of important. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had what? Believed. Jesus was using words. He was providing information. But these Jews believed the words. And it converted the information into this thing called truth. And that truth set them free. Isn't that cool? Notice the medium of faith in this verse, converting Jesus, his words to truth. They believed him. They believed him. I can tell you, this is, the, this is an essential thing to happen in all of our life. Many Christians never get to experience the revelation. They're stuck in the information. So they, got that, they got that much you know, revelation, but we know all kinds of facts. Man, we can win Bible trivia games all day long. Put me on Jeopardy. Let me get the Bible category. Let me get Old Testament. I will, I will razzle and dazzle Alex Trevac. I could answer all those questions. But guess what? It's, it's not here. It's not truth. It's not, it's not changing me. How much of your information is being converted into revelation? Revelation must then begin to convert into something else. Because the change hasn't happened yet. So now the next step is what? Revelation then must convert to what? Transformation. There must be, there, there must be change. The change has not happened yet. Do you realize you can have revelation without transformation? In other words, I had a revelation of my, what my wife needed at the airport, but that doesn't mean I'm going to operate with that revelation. I can actually start doing it. I actually start listening to her rather than trying to fix her all the time. So if faith converts information to revelation, you know what converts revelation to transformation? Write this word, obedience. Obedience. Write that right there. Obedience. Through the medium of obedience... 
comes ultimate change. Now, let me just say something really important here. Do not, here's where we make the mistake. We try to put obedience up here, but it belongs right here. Think for a second. We get information, and then we try to obey the information without obeying the revelation. You know what happens when you start trying to obey information rather than obeying revelation? Religion traffics in this. Condemnation tra traffics in this. Shame traffics in this. That's what happens. We stick obedience up here, but it should always follow revelation. This will make sense in just a second. Transformation, great topic. I love the word transformation. We all want to be transformed through the revelation. Romans 12, 2, we know this. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? <clears throat> Renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. True and lasting change only comes through revelation, the renewing of your mind, not information. Now, let me, now follow me here. This is really important because a lot of us get stuck right here, and we never enjoy the joy that comes in following Jesus because we're trying to obey information rather than obeying revelation. This is where we get stuck in the mud. This is where we strive. This is where I was for 30 years of following Jesus. I was, I was trying to obey what I knew, not obey what was revealed to me by the, by the Spirit of God. You see, information at best, information at best can only produce behavior modification. Our vain attempt to bring change through self-will. I can find out what I'm supposed to do, and then I begin to attempt to do it and, and alter my behavior so I can, God, I'm going to be a good Christian if it kills me. I'm going to be kind if it kills me. I'm going to be loving if it kills me. And we just, and we try so hard and we strive in it and we work at it and it's so difficult and it's so hard and it's so laborious. And yet Jesus is saying, listen, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. What are you doing? You're, you're, you're doing all this heavy lifting that I've already done the heavy lifting. What are you doing? You're wearing yourself out. It says, do not be conformed to this world. So this is interesting. The word conformed in Hebrews 12 too, is the word sukaimatezo. All right, this is what it means. So we get focused on the word transform, which is a cool world, but it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Sukaimatezo. It means, listen, it means to conform yourself to somebody else's pattern. It means to conform yourself to somebody else's pattern. So what happens in the um, information stage? I begin to see somebody else doing something, and, and I want to be like that person, and I start conforming myself and start acting like them. I can act like them. I can be them. I can be like the preacher. I can be like, you know, Susie Dextor. I can, I can do this. And my goodness, it will slap wear you out. It will wear you out. Here we have this aspect. In other words, we need a supernatural change, not one that we can do ourselves. We got to have something that's, that's much more deep than that. David said, that, you know, I need to know truth in the innermost pain. Proverbs talks about as deep calls out the deep, so I, so I call out to you. In other words, the truth has to get deep inside of us in order to produce the change. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Metamorpho, we, we know this word, right? Be transformed, metamorpho. What word do we get from metamorpho? 
metamorphosis. What ha- Can you think of an animal that goes through metamorphosis? Yeah, a frog, a caterpillar. So unlike being conformed, I'm going to make myself act like something else. But something that's far different. In other words, I need something much more significant than that. I need a transformation. Metamorpho means to change into another form altogether by the renewing of your mind. Renewing. Anakinosis. It, 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 that word literally means renovation. If you're into building things, you would have used that word if you're going to renovate your house. You're going you're to completely change it for the better. That's what happens in transformation. It's not trying to act like something that you're not. You really become something entirely different. It's a brand new house, a brand new person. And then you begin to walk out this freedom and great joy in knowing him. Listen to these verses. This is what happens. This is what happens when you begin to move from information through faith. It becomes revelation. Then you begin to obey it. Look at what begins to happen. Ezekiel 18, 31. It says, cast away from you all your transgressions, which you have committed, and make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. That's what Jesus is doing. He's making, he's not, he's giving you a brand new heart and a brand new spirit. Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Words, I'm going to do heart surgery on you. The mission of Jesus was never about fixing your behavior. Jesus did not come to fix your behavior. Jesus came to restore your heart. You get it? We get lost in this behavior. No, no. Jesus is not so much concerned about your behavior. He's concerned about your heart because out of your heart is the wellspring of life. Right? That's what emerges, true life. He wants to fix your heart and discovering in him our God actually is able to meet our needs for significance and security and contentment. These God-given needs that we all have, they are born inside of us that we desire so much for significance, for contentment, for security. And we try all these ways to meet all these things and they leave us what? Hollow and bankrupt. And God says, no, I, I will meet all those in you. I'm restoring your heart. Jesus would repeat Isaiah 61 as he, was, as, as he was beginning his ministry. Jesus declares what he is here to do. He says, the spirit of the Lord is what? Upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up what? The brokenhearted. This isn't a metaphor. Our hearts are broken. And Jesus came to restore our hearts. Because you fixed the heart, you fixed everything, haven't you? You get to that level of transformation, everything begins to get fixed. Now, are works important? Of course works are important. Yeah, we got to do some good things, right? But it doesn't flow out of this. It flows out of revelation. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I told you we'd be going really fast, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Our, our salvation is not built upon works. 
For we are his workmanship. Listen to this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Yes, works are important, but the works flow out of this work of grace in our life, not to obtain more grace. It's not behavior modification. Yeah, we got some good things to do, but it flows out of this great revelation, not out of here. It has to be a conversion process. Are we there? We're going to spend 12 weeks on this in the fall, really breaking this down a little bit more. I'm just giving you kind of a picture. Every one of us in this room are here right now somewhere. We're all, right? We've, we've all had stuff that's moved from here to here and to here. We've all experienced it, haven't we? We've had those aha moments with Jesus. There's some of us here right now that still have a lot of stuff in the information stage. We haven't quite believed and quite accepted yet, and it, and it hasn't become revelation yet. Some of us right now have inverted and we moved obedience to faith and we're, and we're striving in our Christianity. Listen, I, I, was the, I was the guy, I had such a, a perfectionistic spirit. I did, man. I was the guy when I was going through college and I was going through graduate school that if I got a 97 on, the, on a test, I would be meeting with the professor afterwards and say, how come I didn't get 100? I was that guy. I wasn't mad at the professor. I was mad at myself. Because I had such a high level of expectation upon myself. And that drove me and drove me and drove me and drove me. Until the Lord began to reveal to me, just stop. Who are you trying to impress? Who's asking you to do all this? What are you doing? And God begins to reveal these things to you. Now on the top of your paper, you have this, these, these you know, lines right here. So this incredible river has three rivers that feed it, all right, that actually feed in, that comes in as information, and it begins to feed right down through here. Three things, right? So you got the three into three. Now, the first one is this, and we're going to blow through these really, really fast. The first one is this, identity. The next one is communion. The next one is warfare. All right? Now, why am I doing this? I'm showing you a picture of me, of my understanding, of what revelation the Lord gave me to walk in. I believe it's going to be helpful for all of us. In other words, this is Christian formation. This is discipleship. This is how it begins to look. We need to acquire information. What do we need to inquire information about? What's, what, what do we need to know? What do we need to learn? What is it we need to meditate on? You see, Psalm 1 talks about that, that we need to meditate on God's Word day and night. You see, some things stay information and don't become revelation because we never meditated on it long enough. We never, like, just dwelled on it. Oh, I'm saved. I'm born again. What does that mean? You know, and we never think about it. We never think about it. What does it mean to be a son and daughter of God? A joint heir with Jesus, partaker of the divine nature. What does it mean that he became sin? He who knew no sin became sin for us, that I might be the righteousness of God. What does all that really mean? We kind of know it, right? But we've never like meditated on it and thought about it and let it just kind of marinate. You know, like you put your um, prime rib in a, you know, or your London bro in a Ziploc bag and you rub it down with stuff and you stick it in there and you leave it in the refrigerator overnight. 
And it's, and it's worth waiting on, right? Let it marinate overnight. Rather than just rub it down real quick and throw it on the grill, it's worth letting it marinate. That's when the flavor gets really good through the marination. That's all meditation is, is marination, I think, in terms of food. I just think, I think food, right? If I'm going to meditate on something, I'm going to marinate in something. I'm going to, I'm going to stay with a set of ingredients long enough for it to penetrate deep into the meat. So change can happen. Identity. We haven't meditated on identity long enough. What is identity? We ask ourselves three basic questions here. We ask ourselves who we were, who we are, who we will be. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about those three questions. A lot to say about who we were. It has a ton to say about who we now are. And a lot about who we will be. In this, we begin to take God's word and his information. We begin to marinate on these questions. And we begin to talk about what the Bible teaches about spirit, soul, and body. We talk about what it means to be lost. What it, what it meant to be a son and a daughter of Adam and Eve. What, it, what is depravity? What is lostness? What does that mean? What we were, then what we are. What does it mean to have the exchange life? What does it mean to become sons and daughters of the Most High God? What happened when we were born again? How did your ancestry.com change the moment you were born again? It became very simple. Go to ancestry.com. If you're born again, they're just, they're just one line. It's just you and your father. Not you and all these grandparents and grandparents. No, actually, just no. Uh, that's, that's now irrelevant. It, it changed everything. What does it mean? Because when you begin to grab hold of your identity, it will shift everything about you. Jesus wants to speak to your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Your identity is in your heart. God sent the angel to Gideon, who was in a wine press, threshing wheat, hiding, cowering in fear. And he sent this angel and, he to, and to talk to Gideon. And you know what he didn't send the angel to do? He didn't say, well, let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about your fear. Let's talk about your anxiety. No, what did he do? He said, valiant warrior, you will defeat Midian as one man. <gasps> what did he do? He spoke to his heart. What did he say? Gideon, don't you realize you're a, you're a son of Manasseh who was a son of Jacob, who was a son of Abraham, and I have entered into covenant with you. You're my chosen people. You are beloved. I love you. You forgot who you are. He spoke to his heart. After the resurrection, Jesus on the beach, I've been there. I've been to the actual spot on the Sea of Galilee. They know the spot where Jesus sat down with Peter and he had a fish fry. You know what Jesus did not discuss with Peter? He didn't discuss his sin, did he? What did he do? He, he spoke to his heart. He said, Peter, I love you. He said, do you love me? That which was laid down in pain has to be accessed through pain sometimes. In other words, what happened is that, that it brought pain, but it was to restore Peter's heart. That's what Jesus is after. He wants to restore your heart and remind you who you are. Once you know who you are, it changes everything. The heart of God for you. It will. Identity changed me. This is one of the central core pieces, the central revelation in my life when this, what I knew here, when I began to believe it and it became revelation for me and it changed everything. It's almost like no more striving. I don't, it's almost like Effortless Christianity. Now, there is effort, right? But I was wearing 
I was wearing a yoke that was I was never fit to wear. It changed everything. Meditating on identity, answering the question, who we were, who we are, who we will be, feeding systems all the way down through this. The next one, communion. What I mean by communion? Communion answers this question. What does God want? What do you want, God? What do you really want? Because most of us, at least I, for a long time, I could not answer this question really well. God, what do you want? Because I framed it up like this. What do you want me to do? Until you begin to really ask God, God, what do you want? What is all this about? What was the garden about? What begins in the garden in Genesis 1 and ends in the garden in Revelation 22? This incredible circle that begins in the garden and ends in the garden. What is God after in this whole thing? Is he just that bored? What's he doing? What does God want? You know what he wants? He wants you. He wants intimacy. He wants you. He's not so concerned about what you can do. You know God can do a better job than you can of what you think you can do for him? He says he can make a rock do a better job. Because he's not after that. He's, he's not after the doing part. He really is after you. He says, listen, I want to walk with you, Jeff tells us. I want to walk with you in the cool of the day. That's what I'm restoring. That's why Jesus became the second Adam. To communicate to us, I want to walk with you in the cool of the day. I want to have a relationship with you. I want, to, I want to commune with you. He wants intimacy with us. And he does that through the Spirit of God, which is our counsel. All of us need counseling. How many of you need counseling? Sign up for counseling. We all need counseling. That's why the Holy Spirit's called our counselor. So what is he doing when he's walking with you? He's counseling you. He's talking to you. He's showing you things about yourself, showing you things about your, about your heart. He's restoring your heart along the way. He's our counselor. It's this great communion with Jesus. And it is so good. His presence is so wonderful. It is almost as if it is effortless. When you've spent so many years striving and working at it, and all of a sudden you realize you don't have to do that anymore, you can just enjoy him. The writers of the Westminster Shorter Catechism really got this in the very first question. When the, when the writers of that old ancient catechism that said, what is the chief aim of man? What is it? May I answer the question? What's the chief purpose of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. They really got it, didn't they? Glorify God and to what? Enjoy Him forever. God is meant to be enjoy at His right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. Communion, identity, communion and the last little feeder stream here that we got to know about is warfare warfare answers this question why is it so difficult why is everything we just talked about why is it so daggone hard ever asked that question this is also great and also good pie in the sky and the sweet by and by you painted me a rosy picture but dang it's hard Right? We got to know something about warfare. We got to know we're in a battle. It, it, it answers the question. Because there's a reason it's so hard. And that we're actually in a battle. And we're fighting two separate enemies on really different fronts. One is the flesh and one is Satan. And we begin to learn the difference between these two things. A lot of us get beat up and pummeled because we don't know how to fight. 
It was David who said, he, you, have, you have trained my hands for war. You've equipped me with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand for, and for the left hand. It was Paul who taught us that the weapons that he has given us are not of this world, but they are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. This is very militant language, isn't it? That we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. This is warfare we're in. We don't fight like the world fights, but it's a fight. And there's a way to fight. And there's a way to walk in victory that the scripture teaches us. But sometimes if this just stays in this information, yeah, we may give mental assent to Satan, right? We may give mental assent to the flesh. Yeah, I believe all that. No, you don't. Because if you really did, you're probably, you'd probably like, oh, I need, to do I need to do something about this. I know what Ephesians chapter 6 is. Yeah, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against rulers and powers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Yeah, do you believe it? See, it, it stays locked in the information stage. We, know, we don't believe it. It doesn't become revelation. And then if it doesn't get here, then we can never appropriate the truth of it in our own life and begin to walk in the victory he has called us to. Amen? I cannot believe we did that in 45 minutes. But do you, but you see... See, it, it becomes the picture of, of what the Lord is doing in our life and what's happening. And we can all find ourselves. And I don't know if you're wired like me. God gave us a brain for a purpose, right? And sometimes it helps me at least to have a revelation of kind of God, what you're doing. And you hear me repeat this all the time. You know, you know Moses praying, Lord, teach me your ways that I may know you. You know, it's that, it's that heart cry for Moses. God, teach me your ways. Lord, I want to know you. And God says, then know my ways. And then you can know me. This is the ways of God right here. And when you begin to know his ways, you can find yourself here and begin to move and flow in the spirit that he's called you to.